Amen, amen. All right, title of this message is called A New Season. This is the third part three out of seven, uh, I believe. And so it says in Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39, no one, uh, children are dismissed and um, our nursery worker wasn't able to be here today, so we had to close the nursery. So if you have uh, someone that's four years old, Elizabeth said, with what they're doing upstairs, they should be fine if they want to go to Children's Church. If they're four or older, they can go upstairs to Children's Church. So just follow all the kids. Um, they're following Miss Elizabeth here and her helpers. So, all right. So no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Now, you got to understand, for, for in, in the natural sense, aged wine is always better than new wine. And so we have to fight that mentality that says there's no way new wine can be better than the old wine, but the Lord is telling us that the new wine is what we need. And therefore, if he says it's what we need, it's going to be better than what we have. We have to change the way we think. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, Matthew 9, 17. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Now, you got to understand, also, in this day, they didn't have bottles of wine like we do here. They used to put wine in skins and the skins had a stretchiness to them, kind of like my clothes. I got to have stretchy clothes. So when they expand, you eat broccoli, cauliflower, you need some expansion in there. <laughs> so when they, uh, I'm enjoying it. Okay. So when they expand, then they don't burst. All right. So they have opportunity to stretch and, to go, and, 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 and they have a little bit of elasticity in there. And that's how they used to store wine. So today we put it in bottles, and of course we don't really struggle with that. But previously in our last couple of messages, we saw that the principle to grasp in these verses is that Jesus is bringing new wine into the church. This new wine is, something, is not something new as in the sense of never been seen before, but is new in the sense that it is a moving of his spirit in and among us that's going to require flexibility to contain it. In order to embrace this moving of the Spirit, we can't hold on to the rigid mindsets and traditional ways of thinking and doing things that we've been accustomed to. And you might say, well, we're a Pentecostal church. We're Assemblies of God church. We don't have religious mindsets. Just hang around a little bit, and you'll find out that there are. We have ways of doing things. We might not think that we have agendas or we have... Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, items on our list that we do certain things certain ways, but we do. And so sometimes when the Lord moves, it violates what we think should be done, and we have to be open to God doing things a little bit different. So we must be moldable and stretchable to embrace the move of God, because when God moves, it's always going to take you outside of your comfort zone. We, in other words, another way of saying this is we've got to be willing to put on a new coat when the season calls for a new coat. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
is that the season is not going to change because we look at the weather. The season is going to change because God says it's changing. And what God expects of us is to change our clothes for the season that is coming if we want to experience the season that is coming. So a lot of times we want to say, when it's cold, then I'll put on my coat. And what basically what God is saying is, it's going to get cold, put on your coat now so that you can experience the cold that's coming. And here's the other thing to that, is that if you're unwilling to put on the coat now before the season comes for the cold, you will never experience the season that's coming. That's what it means to walk by faith. All right? We're not necessarily talking about the changing the essence of who we are in this new season, but changing the manifestation of who we are to keep up with what God says is coming. Last week, we started by looking at the importance of the spiritual to living out our life. Again, we're going through this new season. The first week, I, I laid out the word new, and we had an outline out of that word new. And now, in these next few messages, we began with the word season every uh, letter has a emphasis that we're going to be looking at. This morning, we're on the letter E out of that word season. And what we're going to be looking at today is this, what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing. So the Spirit's emphasis. In Genesis 28, 12 through 17, this is going to be our text for today. The wineskin text is for the series. This is our text for today. And he, Jacob, dreamed... And while he dreamed, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. By the way, you should know that Jacob, as of right now, doesn't have any, he's not married, doesn't have any children, and he has no money. And the Lord is saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, what I have just now promised you, I will bring into manifestation into your life. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely, not surely, but surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. Now Anna's doing a, a, a series that she's beginning called The Awe of God. So when it says he was afraid, I think that's what he was experiencing was the awesomeness of God and the reverence of God that comes from being in his presence. This is, and then he says, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Can you say that with me? The house of God and the gate of heaven. Another way of saying gate is portal. This is the opening, the portal from heaven is in this place. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is when Jacob said this is none other than the house of God, he actually said in Hebrew, Beth 
Elohim, and he called the name of the place Bethel, or Bethel, however you want to look at it. Bethel means and is the house of God. Genesis 28, 17. This is none other than the house of God, and we'll look at in the next point, and this is the gate of heaven. There's a principle that many use in their study of Scripture called the principle of first mention. It states that the first time a word or phrase or concept appears in the Word of God is of extreme importance. The first mention often establishes a precedent, a pattern, or a biblical concept that occurs throughout the rest of Scripture. Here in Jacob's dream, we find the very first mention of the theme of God's house in Scripture. Genesis 28:19. he called the name of that place Bethel, or Bethel. Jacob literally says, this is Beth Elohim. He is making an exclamation that later becomes the name of the place where he is having this experience. In the Hebrew language, which is the language of Jacob and the language that the Bible was originally written in, Bethel, which is what Jacob says the name of this place is, literally means the house of God. The house of God refers to the house, the place, or the city, or the location where God dwells. It's not a house that God possesses. It's a place where God rests. Throughout the Bible, we seem to find a theme that the Lord, who was cut off from his creation due to Adam and Eve's sin, was seeking to reestablish that relationship with his creation, with his human beings that he created. Again, he was trying to reestablish relationship with him. Because God's desire and purpose was and always will be to dwell with and ultimately among his people. When he created Adam and Eve, the Bible says he used to walk with them in the midst of the garden. What did he do? He was dwelling with them. He was walking among his people. As Christians today, followers of Christ, we need to understand that the church is meant to be the fulfillment of the pattern that God established in seeking to dwell with and among his people. See, uh, what happens, we think church is the place where we go and sing and hear a sermon. But it's not. That's the building that we call a church. The church is are, are today are people that have been born again and in whom the Spirit of God resides. So the church is the dwelling place of God. We, His people, are the house of that God chose to inhabit individually and corporately. And that'll mess with your mind when you realize that everywhere you go, you are the house of God, the place where God dwells. Amen. Might change some of the places that some of us go. I'm just saying. Not only is Bethel the house of God, but Bethel also, Jacob said, is the gate of heaven. Again, behold, uh, he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it uh, reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So in his dream, Jacob saw what our text describes as a ladder. The word ladder intends to convey the image of a stairway or ramp with wide steps. 
Such long stairways were well known in Babylonian temple towers, except, of course, that they did not actually reach all the way to the heavens. But their mindset was, let's build a tower, if you remember the Tower of Babel, and we will reach to the heavens. If you go down to the Mexico, you will still see some of these towers that have been made, and you will see that many of them have stairways that reach all the way to the top. That's, I think, what Jacob was seeing. The foot of the stairway rested on the ground that Jacob saw. We might also say that it went from the ground to the sky. Of course, the sky is the place where God dwells. So Jacob continues with what he saw in his dream, and he says, And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on this stairway. So the words used to translate ascending and descending imply going up and down on a stairway or on a series of steps, not just once, but continuously. It's interesting that Jacob, when he wakes up, not only calls this the house of God, but he also adds a descriptor to it. He says it is the gate of heaven. Again, another way we might be able to translate this that makes sense to us, it is the portal or the doorway from heaven to earth where the angels of God ascend and descend continuously. Because this was where God had appeared to Jacob, the place of his dream, the place where he was sleeping, where he laid down and put a rock under his head and he had a dream, was considered the gate, the doorway, the portal, the entrance to heaven. This descriptor is vitally important and as we will see has a tremendous impact on us as the church because as the principle of first mention, it sets the precedent for God was and is intending for his house, which is now we understand to be the church, what he intends for the church to be. The church is, can you turn to somebody and say, we're the church? The church is the house of God the place where God dwells, and it is the gate of heaven. This is not the house of God. It is the house where the house of God meets. We are the house of God, and we, not this building, we are the gate of heaven. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just I'm telling you. I'm, I'm not a feeler, but I'm feeling it. There's a song that, that somebody sing. If you could feel what I feel, what I feel, what I feel, what I feel, what I feel right now. <laughs> so we see in Jacob's dream that Bethel is both the house of God, the place where God dwells, and also is the gate of heaven. As we previously stated, the church is the ultimate fulfillment of what Jacob saw. We, God's people in Jacob's dream, now have a picture of what God intends the church to be. We need to become the church that Jacob and Jesus dreams of. Did you see the play on words there? I thought that was pretty good. Okay, when we edit this, we're going to have to put some, hey, that was good. <laughs> yes, okay, it's perfectly fine with me. You guys can be very quiet or you guys can shout. I prefer the shout. I understand. It's, this is really deep, right? You guys have to think about it, meditate on it, but it's the Z's that come out of your nose that kind of worries me. 
We need to become the church that Jacob and Jesus himself is dreaming of. According to the dream Jacob had, that's the house of God and the gate of heaven. So the house of God, let's say it this way, the church is the place where God dwells, where God abides. Not the concept, not the theology, not the designation, but the being the omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipresent, the omniscient, the omniscient, I'm going to say it, omniscient God abides in and among his people. Second Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Another way of saying that, we are the house of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know what he's saying here? You can't be the house of the world and the house of God. You can't be the house of the devil and the house of God. You've got to separate yourself from the world. You've got to separate yourself from the devil. You've got to separate yourself from witchcraft. You've got to separate yourself from the new age. You've got to separate yourself from the things of the world. And you've got to recognize yourself and set up, be set apart as the house of God. This is the place where God dwells. Biblically, a temple was a place or a house where a deity would reside. As Christians, the temple of God or the house of God where God resides is found not within a structure but within a people. The, verse, the, the verses mentioned above describe that concept both individually and corporately. The church is the place where God dwells. The church is the house of God. We are the church. Therefore and ergo, we are the place where God abides. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, the reason the church emerged as a force that could so change the world was not because of their great teachings, great morals, or great works, although they had all of that in abundance. No, the reason the church emerged in the book of Acts as a force was because the Lord was among them. They had encounters with him day by day. He was their message. And he did great works among them and through them. And because of this, it was not long before the most powerful potentates of the planet knew of these people and not long afterward were in great fear of them. These believers shook the earth with their message and their lives, and it will happen again. The church that is about to emerge at the end of this age will be known for many things, but without question, the main thing will be that God is in her. The church will heal, deliver, restore, transform, and at times provide for multitudes and multitudes, just as Jesus did when he walked the earth. This church will even do greater works because he has now ascended and sits above all rule, authority, dominion, and power. All of the ministries and gifts of the Spirit are only aspects of Christ that he demonstrated when we, he walked the earth in the flesh. They are exhibited in the church because he dwells among us by means of the Holy Spirit. 
He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When you, you must be born again. When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes and indwells within you. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Being a Christian is not just like being a Mormon or being a Shriner or being a uh, Masonic Lodge member, which, by the way, we, we, we would strongly urge you to stay away from all of those. It's not the time to talk about that. But the reality is being a Christian is not just something you become because you join a local church. Being a Christian means that you are born again and God himself has taken up residence inside of you. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we find that the church is the place where God dwells. Not only that, the church is the gate of heaven. We need to be heaven's penetration point on earth. We need to be the headquarters of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We need to continue the work of Jesus Christ to bring the model that he prescribed for us from heaven to earth. Did you see the sign that we have out in the front where it says Matthew 6 and, is it 9 or 10? 10, on earth as it is in heaven. God does not want to be relegated to heaven. God wants to invade earth. How does he invade the earth? Through a people in whom he has uh, chosen to dwell that have invited him in so that through them the ways of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom can manifest in this earthly realm. We need to continue the work of Jesus Christ to bring the model from heaven to earth. In Hebrews 8 and 5, it says, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. We get to see how things are in heaven. And then we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any sickness in heaven? There's no sickness in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in me, in my family, in my community, in my state, in my nation, on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any division in heaven? Well, there was trying to be at one point, and God just knocked it out. And so if there's no division in heaven, should there be division in the church? No, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let the peace of God rule and reign in my family, in my marriage, in my house, in my church, in my community. We make a, uh, we are a kingdom community aligned with heaven. We are a community that opens the gates of heaven and shuts the gates of hell. We make a huge mistake when we separate those two parts in our church life. What most traditional churches offer to people is a social fabric. Everything is about community and catering to the needs of the people and their families without an interwoven supernatural element unless you categorize brotherly love, uh, uh, categorize brotherly love as supernatural. 
Christianity without the supernatural dimension is often reduced to trying to make people become nicer and nicer by having them listening to more and more and better and better sermons. And that is not exactly the radical shift Jesus suffered and died for on a cross. On the other hand, we all know churches are people who always live on Jacob's ladder, never touching the ground. We need to remind ourselves that the ladder is resting on earth as well as heaven. So should we favor the house part or the ladder part? We need to favor both. New Testament churches actually pull from two ends of Jacob's revelation and happily live in the tension of their union. We offer a healthy environment where people can have genuine relationships under the supernatural glory, uh, a cloud of glory that has come to rest on the earth. The manifestation of this cloud of glory is what separates us from any other social group, regardless of how, of how noble those might be. Moses understood that clearly when he said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, Exodus 33:15 and 16, do not bring us up from there. And my cry is, Lord, if your presence is not in the house, I don't want to be here. Well, you have to be here. It's your job. I don't have to be here. I'm not here because it's my job. I'm here because God called me. Now, thankfully, the church provides for me. But I was here when the church barely provided for me. And my wife was doing most of that. And God was using her to do that. So it's not about what you provide for me. It's because this is where God sent me. And what has God sent me to do? God sent me to equip you and to help you become all that God destined for you to be. And what did he destined for us to be as a church? Not a social club. We are social. We do love one another. We help one another. We do good works. We do all those kind of things uh, in the natural realm. But that's not primarily what we're to be. We are supposed to be the place where people walk in and they say, God is in this house. What's happening over there? I don't know, but I know that every time I go by there, man, something is happening. I, can't, I, I start to realize, man, I, something is missing in my life. People drive by and they have to pull in the parking lot. Why? Because the presence of God is in this house. Not only is God in this house, but if you've got a need that no doctor, no lawyer, nobody can meet, God himself can meet that need because God is a supernatural God. And that place over there where God dwells, when you walk in the midst of it, things begin to happen. If you got cancer, all of a sudden cancer disappears. If, you got, if you're lame, all of a sudden you can walk. If you're blind, God opens blinded eyes. If you have deaf ears, all of a sudden God begins to open your ears because God is in the house and the presence of God is allowed to move and God is doing what he wants to do, which is to be among us people and he heals them and delivers them and sets them free this is what he paid a price for Jesus is bringing new wine into the church this new wine is not something new. It's in the sense of never been seen before. But it's new in the sense that it's a moving of the Holy Spirit in and among us that is going to require flexibility to contain it. In order to embrace this moving of the Spirit of God, we must be moldable and stretchable to embrace it. Today we went back to Jacob's dream to see what it revealed to us about the house of God. Jacob called the place where he dreamed 
Bethel. We see in it that Bethel is both the house of God and the gate of heaven. Scripture reveals to us that the church is the ultimate fulfillment of what Jacob saw. As a result, through Jacob's dream, we, the church, have a picture of what God intends his church, and that is you and I, what God intends you and I to be. The church is the place where God dwells. When you go and leave this place, you don't leave God here. He goes with us. How is anything going to change my home? God is with you. He doesn't stay here. He goes with you. Some of you are new here. And listen, I'm not definitely a, a prototype for how you want to do things. I'm <clears throat> but God, this is what God did in my life. I was 21 years old. And, um, you know, I wasn't quite as rowdy as my brothers. I, I, I wasn't... Uh, my brothers had a reputation. And uh, I didn't. I was what you would call a good kid. But as a good kid... I realized I was pretty lost. You see, it's not a matter of how good you are or how bad you are. It's whether you're righteous or not. Amen. What does it mean to be righteous? That means that by faith, you have accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He's forgiven us of our sins. He raised them and given us a status of being able to stand in the presence of God because of what Jesus did. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's kind of like we were wayward sons, and because of what Jesus did, God was able to bring us back close to him. Amen. All right? So it's not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's about whether or not God's work on the cross of Calvary has been applied to your life. Amen. Remember the Passover? And the Passover in, Israel, in, Israel, in Egypt when the Israelites were bringing them out and the death angel was over everyone? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, how's this death angel going to pass over me? You're going to slay a lamb, and you're going to take its blood, and you're going to apply it to the doorposts and the lentils. And see, that's what happens with Jesus. We're all under the wages of sin is death. God's not trying to kill us. We separated ourselves from God. In him is life, and life more abundantly. But without him, we're lost. And so we're all under condemnation. We're all going to hell, but that's not God's desire. Well, I thought God wanted me to go to hell. No, God said, over my dead body, are you going to hell? died on the cross so you didn't have to what do I have to do I have to believe on him and then the price that he paid he didn't really need it for himself because he was just he was righteous but he paid paid a price he shed his blood that those who believe on him might embrace the work that he did and then we become new creations in Christ and the Spirit of God comes in and dwells inside of us well anyway what happened in my life is I, I realized I was I, it don't matter if I can jump 50 feet or if I can jump 20 feet if the chasm is a million feet I'm gonna go down into the chasm I needed Jesus, and I called on the Lord. When, when I called on the Lord, God came into my life. I became born again. And what I realized, as, 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 as young as I was, as uh, green as I was, and as uh, irreverent as I was in some senses, as, 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 as I wasn't lost anymore, but I didn't know the culture of heaven. I didn't know all that, you know. But whenever I realized, whenever I went home, God went with me. I used to watch uh, movies at my house. My house was lost. I mean, we were lost. And it was dark in my house. I didn't know that until I got saved. 
And so we used to, well, I'd, I'd go to church, I'd sense the presence of the Lord, this is awesome, go home, and I'd just do whatever I did at home. I didn't do anything evil, but one of the things we used to do is we watch movies. And I realized I watched this one movie, I'm just, I don't know why I'm telling this, but it might help somebody. So anyway, I'm watching this movie, and I said, man, this is a good movie. And so I go to church on Sundays with Anna's family at that particular time, they'd take me to church, and I said, man, I watched this great movie. Oh yeah, let's watch it. So they went and rented it, and we were watching it after church. And while we were watching after church, this great movie, all of a sudden, when I was in the midst of all these other people, I started going down and down and down and down. And I thought to myself, I can't believe I recommended this movie to these people. What happened, that what was different than my house and in their house is not that the presence of the Lord wasn't with me in my house. It's just that there was a... Uh, 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 God was allowed to move more in that house. And when I came into that light, I realized that what I was doing was not really what needed to be done. And over a process of time, as I began to read, I began to grow. I began to grow in my walk with God. But one of the things I found was that even in my uh, uh, young days, as I began to share about the Lord, God was with me. I began to share what God did with my family, and all of a sudden my brother got saved, and my other brother got saved, and then my sister got saved, and somewhere along the line my mom had got saved, and eventually my dad got saved. That didn't all happen right away, but what happened was that I didn't leave Jesus, or he didn't leave me when I left the church. He was coming with me. And I'd cry out to the Lord, and then I would take steps of faith, and I'd tell them about the Lord. I didn't always do it right. I made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I'm telling you, this is like the, the abbreviated, cleaned-up version. And then what happened, we would say, well, we need to reach for friends. The friends in our neighborhood was lost as well. So we had a, in my house, we had a, at that time, rock and roll was a big deal. You know, you can play it backwards and you hear the devil say all these. That was, you know, so we had a guy do a rock and roll seminar, invite him to the house. And there in my house, in my living room, this dark place, all the kids in the neighborhood, yeah, we want to be a part of it. All you got to do is, yeah, I want to come. Yeah, I want to come. Cool, I want to find that rock and roll. Guy came in dressed up with a, you know, bandana, dressed like a rocker, you know, and started talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, you had kids in my neighborhood start to get saved. My brother's friends got saved. My sister's friends got saved. And what happened was, see, God didn't stay at the church. He came with us. And he said, I'll be with you. And as we began to tell people about Jesus, it began to change my family. It began to change the neighborhood. Why? Because Jesus wasn't just a concept. It wasn't a morality. He was a person. He's a being. He's the God of the universe that lives inside of us. And if you have an expectation that where you go, God goes with you, and you believe God that he will do things through you, there's nothing that God cannot do. You're the house of God. You are the gate of heaven. How are things going to change in my family? God is with you. But you have to have a belief in God. You have to have an expectation that God will move into your life. That's what we call faith. You've got to move with God. You've got to submit to God. You've got to allow God to do things in your life. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. When you make a mistake, you know what you do? You tell the people around you, I'm sorry. That's not the way that God is. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. And they're going to begin to recognize that there is stuff changing in you. Not because, you know, you go to church, but because I've never heard you say you're sorry before. There must be a God. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
God is with you. He goes with you. He doesn't stay here in the church. He goes with you wherever you go. And I'm trying to get you to understand is that that God that can do anything here is the same God out there. But can you work with him? Can you trust him? Can you, well, you know, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know God. I know he's with you, Pastor, but I'm not sure that he's with me. Am I any different than you? We're all new creations in Christ. We're all the temple of the living God. What makes me better than you? I'm not. I just walk the path that I'm hoping you'll walk uh, uh, maybe a little sooner than you do, but we all walk the same path. I can give you guidance. I can say, don't turn right here, turn left here. I can tell you all these kind of things, but we're the same people. We're on a journey. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The church is the place where God dwell, dwells. The church that is about to emerge at the end of the age will be known for many things, but without question, the main thing will be that God is in her. The church is the gate of heaven. We need to be heaven's penetration point on earth, the headquarters of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We need to continue the works of Jesus Christ to bring that prayer that he asks us to pray into manifestation. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Then he said in John 14 and 12, the works that I do, greater works than these, not by your might, not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Greater works than these shall you do. Not greater in capacity, but greater in quantity. Why? Because now Jesus has many, many places where he and people that he can move through and the works that he did, he will do it through us as well. Amen? So what is the Spirit emphasizing? That we are the place where God dwells. We are the house of God. We are the gateway of heaven. Not this building. We, his people, are the portal, the gateway where heaven invades earth.